You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. when you're facing terrible circumstances. It is not easy to give God praise when you have bad reports from the doctors or when you have bad relationship problems or when you have an addiction or when you have other things going on in your life. It is not easy to give God praise. But oh, the reward when you can. The reward when you can. What happens when you do that is incredible. So as I said, this reads like a psalm. In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that God's worthiness isn't dependent on your circumstances, but it's hard to praise God when you're asking Him to change your situation, and He doesn't. God is worthy of your praise even in the darkest of times. Pour out your praise to the Lord. He will never leave you. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2 as he begins his message, Hannah's Prayer of Praise. You are God had a plan for the nation Israel. Now, if you remember correctly, they're still in the time of judges. A time of chaos, a time of anarchy. There was no king. They had forgotten their God. They had forgotten all they had accomplished for them at the Red Sea, in the wilderness, during the conquest of Canaan. They'd forgotten about that, or they chose to ignore it. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They had abandoned God's word. And anarchy was the rule. It was not a happy time in the nation of Israel. But God had a plan. God had a perfect plan. And his plan was to restore Israel to himself. And in order to do this, he began by sending a baby a child, God's plan would begin with the miracle of new life, the miracle of birth. Not only that, but the birth to a barren woman, a woman whose womb was closed for years upon years would be open and she would bear a child. And this child would be raised to be a prophet of all Israel. He would anoint two kings. He would become great and talked about throughout the land. It was the beginning of God's restoration of the nation Israel. Bringing them back from whence they've fallen. Hannah prayed to the Lord. She prayed with bitterness of soul. She prayed in anguish. She asked God for a son. She made a vow before God in the tabernacle, before Eli the priest, that if God would indeed grant her a son, that she would then dedicate that son, give that son back to God to be in his service forever. You remember the story of the priest Eli, seeing her praying, thought she was drunk, thought she had too much wine at the festival because 
Her mouth was moving, but he heard nothing coming out. And he questioned her state of mind. And how to explain to Eli her prayer. How she was in turmoil. How she was in bitterness of soul. And how she was in anguish and crying out to the Lord that he would help her. That he would help her to conceive and have a child. We have to remember, I said this last week, bearing a child, especially a male child in this culture, was huge. It was enormous. It perpetuated the family legacy. It was so important. In fact, women that could not were deemed unclean. They were deemed not worthy. They were looked down upon. Eli, seeing the woman's sincerity, seeing the woman's faith, basically said, may God do for you and grant to you all that you asked. And Hannah left with confidence. She left with her heart soaring, knowing that God would indeed do what she requested. God would indeed give her a son. She conceives. And she has a son. And she names him Samuel. Meaning, heard of by God. Samuel. And as we close chapter 1, Hannah and Elkanah leave Samuel with Eli the priest, fulfilling their vow to the Lord. We had spoken of that the priest's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were two of the most wicked priests that would ever, ever be in the nation Israel. They were wicked beyond belief. And as we move on in chapter 2 next week, we'll see some of the things that they did that caused their wickedness. Elkanah and Hannah knew this. They knew that they were wicked, but yet they left their young boy. It's assumed that Samuel was three years old at this time. He had weaned from his mother. And they went up to the feast as usual. And they left the young lad there. They left him in the hands of Eli the priest. They left him with Phineas and Hophni. Knowing that they were evil. But we said last week that they weren't really leaving them, leaving the child with the priest. They were leaving the child to the Lord. And their confidence and their faith was in the Lord, not in the priests. After she left the child with Eli, she could have gone out and had a good cry like any mother might. She could have gone out Sorrowful. She could have gone out in pain and agony because she was leaving her only son. She had no children. And there was no thoughts that she might have anymore. She didn't know. This might be the only child that the Lord would give her. We found out later that it wasn't, but it might be. She didn't know. So she should have, she could have gone out and just cried herself silly. She might even have second thoughts. What did I do? But that wasn't what she did. That wasn't what she did. And as we begin chapter 2, instead of crying over her son, Hannah takes a different approach than some of us might have taken. She chooses to burst into song and praise to the Lord. She chooses to burst into a song of praise that reads very much like a psalm. A beautiful song of praise. And we can learn a lot from this song of praise. It's interesting to me that the world itself cannot understand the relationship 
between sacrifice and song. One commentator that I read said this, quote, the world cannot understand how God's people can sing their way into sacrifice and sacrifice their way into singing. I like that. If you want to turn for a minute to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, in verse 27, we see an example of this where Hezekiah is restoring the temple worship. And in verse 27 of chapter 29 of Chronicles, it says this, Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar, and when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began, with the trumpets and with the instruments of David the king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So you see, there is a relationship between sacrifice and song. There's a relationship here. In fact, I can prove it a little further. As they ended the Last Supper, as Jesus ended the Last Supper, and they started down the Mount of Olives, going towards the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew what was about to take place. Jesus knew that when they got to the garden, he would be betrayed. He knew that they would come in and they would take him. He knew that he would be beaten. He knew that the things were going to happen to him, eventually leading to his crucifixion and his death. What the scriptures said they do, say they did as they left. In Matthew 26, 30, it says they sang a song. They sang a hymn. What did Paul and Silas do after they were beaten to within an inch of their life hanging, chained in a Philippian jail. What did they do? They sang songs of praise. They sang songs of praise. You know the rest that happened. All throughout the Psalms, David is praising the Lord in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. He's praising the Lord in the most difficult of times. And then there's Acts 5. In Acts 5, Specifically 41, you don't have to turn there. The disciples come before the Lord. Excuse me. They come before the Sanhedrin. They come before the council. And they're warned not to do anything in the name of Jesus Christ. Not to speak in His name. And it says in verse 40, And they, the council, agreed with Gamiel. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed, they being the apostles, from the presence of the council. Here it comes. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his namesake. Wow. How many of us could do same? How many of us could do the same? How many of us? Many have compared this prayer, this song of Hannah, to David's song at the end of 2 Samuel, or even to Mary's beautiful song in Luke 1, the Magnificat. In fact, they said that they're very, very similar. And one of the things I can give you for homework, yeah, homework, one of the things I can give you for homework is take Mary's Magnificat, found in Luke 1, 46-45, and compare it to Hannah's song. And see the similarities between the two. 
Each song tells of God's amazing grace poured out upon someone who was completely undeserving. It tells about God's victory over the enemy and how he turns things upside down in order to accomplish his purpose. He turned things upside down to accomplish his purpose. His purpose was accomplished. And as I said, had it gone the other way and the other one would have won, his purpose would have been accomplished. God is in control. God is in control. And it's my prayer that as we look into this prayer, this song of praise, that we too would be able to glean from it examples of how we too should give praise and thanksgiving to our Lord, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what is happening in our lives. And I will say it before we begin, this isn't easy, folks. It is not easy to give God praise when you're facing terrible circumstances. It is not easy to give God praise when you have bad reports from the doctors or when you have bad relationship problems or when you have an addiction or when you have other things going on in your life. It is not easy to give God praise. But oh, the reward when you can. The reward when you can. What happens when you do that is incredible. So as I said, this reads like a psalm. It reads like a psalm. And why not? If it's a song, most psalms are songs. Let's look at verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Wow. Right off the bat, Hannah begins her prayer by rejoicing in the Lord. This is so important. What are you rejoicing in what are we rejoicing in? I know some of you, I've read your Facebook post. How many of us are more happy on payday than we are the day before? How many of us look at the bank account on payday and go, woohoo, payday? When God's saying, where was that yesterday? Where was that yesterday when you only had a couple of pennies to rub together? Where was the praise then? Who gave you that pay? Man, wait a minute here. The Lord hasn't changed. In fact, but we always want to rejoice in the Lord when circumstances are good because then it's easy. Then it's really easy. But when things get rough, when things start to get tough, that's when rejoicing in the Lord really takes on a whole new meaning. That's a different story. Things were tough for Hannah. She just gave away her kid. She had never had a child. We have no idea how old she was. She just gave away her kid. She just gave him to a wicked priest to raise. My goodness. She's rejoicing unselfishly here, not only for herself, but she knows that in her heart that God has a plan for the nation Israel. And she knows in her heart that her son is going to be used. So she's rejoicing for the nation Israel. Think about this. She and her husband had just left their child to these priests who were less than honorable, her only child. But she knew God had a plan. She trusted in God. Many of you, many of you, many of you quote a lot of times, when someone's going through troubles, you quote Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts and plans I have for you. You know that. You quote that. Do you believe it or is it just something you spout out of your mouth? 
She knew God had a plan and she trusted in that plan because it was God's plan and not her plan. It was God's plan. She prayed from her heart. It's always a matter of the heart. If you want to get to the heart of the matter, the matter is the heart. What condition is your heart? Her heart was overflowing with love and joy in the Lord. That is where our joy exists. There is no joy outside of the Lord. The joy only comes in the Lord. You may have joy outside of the Lord that is very fleeting. The day after payday, when you're broke, the joy gone. If that's where your joy is. But our joy should be in the Lord. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We used to sing a wonderful song. I remember back in the day, there is joy in the Lord. There is love in His Spirit. There is hope in the knowledge of Him. What a great song. That's where our joy exists, in the Lord. In the Lord is where our joy is. That's what she's saying. Look at this. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. What? Hannah had horns? No. Horn always is an example of strength. It's always an example of strength in the Bible. Her strength was exalted. She received new strength from God. God would be her help in time of trouble. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Our strength comes from the Lord. Our strength comes from Him. He is our strength. She says, My horn is exalted in my strength. And I love the next verse. I smile at my enemies. She smiles at her enemies. Just for the heck of it, I looked up all the things that a smile does. Let a smile be your umbrella. No, I looked up all the things that a smile does. Did you know that a smile relieves stress? Do you know that a smile is contagious? It it releases endorphins? A smile is attractive. A smile strengthens the immune system. A smile makes you very, very approachable. And it also makes you appear trustworthy. A smile. She says, I smile at my enemies. I smile at them. Hannah, look at Hannah's reason to smile. Because I rejoice in your salvation. She rejoices in the salvation of the Lord. It's his salvation. Not my salvation. It's the Lord's salvation, for he's given it to me. God is my salvation. God is the God of salvation. Salvation belongs to him. He gives it. It is available to all because he gave his only begotten son. And that is a reason to rejoice. We have this scripture a lot, and we talk about it a lot. Luke 10, 20. In Luke 10, Jesus sends the disciples out. And they go out and they cast out demons and they heal the sick and they they do this and they do that. And all of a sudden they come back after being out there and they're shucking and jiving and high-fiving each other and go, Woo! We did this! Yeah, baby, look at that! Woo! Aren't we cool? Jesus says, What? What? Why are you doing that? Don't rejoice because you have power over evil spirits. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. That is what we should be rejoicing about. If you've been born again into a living hope, 
If you've received Christ as your Savior, believe in Him with all your heart that on the cross your sins were forgiven and He rose from the dead. If you believe in all that, you're going to heaven. Forget the election, you're going to heaven. That alone should make you do flip-flops. That's what He said to them. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You want to rejoice about something? Rejoice in that. Forget the paycheck. Hannah sees more than just being delivered from her barrenness. She sees a new victory for the nation of Israel. The word salvation, does anybody know what the word salvation is in Hebrew? Yahshua. Yeshua. That's the word salvation. We get the name Joshua from that. And from Joshua, we get the Greek name Jesus. In Hebrew, he's called Yahshua. Jehovah is salvation. It is your salvation, God. Your salvation. Beautiful, beautiful name of the promised Messiah. And that's just verse 1. Look at verse 2. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. This should sound very, very familiar. Because in, in, in Romans 3... Paul quotes Psalm 14 and 53. There is no one righteous, no one not one. There is no one good. Here, Hannah is declaring, God, there's no one holy like you. To say that the Lord holy is to say that he is completely set apart. He's unique and there is not anyone else like him. Praise God. So when she continues in the same verse and says, for there is none beside you, she is saying the same thing. There is one or there is none holy like the Lord. But only she says it in different words. And then she says, nor is there any any rock like our God. Again, she's saying the same thing. And this is a Hebrew way of poetry. They repeat things multiple times so that you get the picture, so you see what she's trying to say. Look at the majesty that's shown here. Look at the majesty that's shown here. We see the greatness of God. When you get a glimpse of the greatness of God, your life starts to change. Your life is brought into a new perspective. You have a new perspective of things. Not only do you have a new perspective of yourself, which should be unclean, but you have a new perspective of what the Lord is doing. Hannah knew the character of God, and she exalted his glorious attributes. We have a chance to know his character too. We have a chance to know and have knowledge of God. God wants us to know of him. He wants us to have that knowledge. And we have that knowledge right here in his word. That knowledge is right here for us to read. Hannah affirmed his holiness. She affirmed his uniqueness. There is no one like you, Lord. God is indeed most holy and most unique. He is set apart. He is above all things. In fact, the Hebrews declare this. Every time before they pray. They declare this every time before they meet. They declare that. It's called the Shema. It's called the Shema. You can find it in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They repeat it over and over and over. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.